Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's great for kids doing homework, great for reading, great for writing, anything that you need to focus on. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments and more at mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1192, with guest Sam Basu. Recorded Friday, August 28th, 2015. guess what? It's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, Sam Basu is here. We're going to talk to him in just a little bit. How are you, my friend? I am doing the thing with the stuff. You know, I actually had a couple of, did the grilled pizza party the other weekend, and everybody had a good time with that. I'm doing grilled pizza Wednesday with my daughters and friends. Everybody, that's a favorite. You know why? Because it's the end of summer, yep. and it, we only have so many days left that we can do that. Yeah, you got to grab them while you can, right? But yeah. uh, the big neighborhood party, you know, my whole cul-de-sac shuts down, and, and everybody comes out for that is... Uh, Early September after Labor Day, so that everybody's home, but yep. for the first weekend before the weather really turns, so we can actually you know, get that done. Yep. All our sunset parties are going to go away. Oh, well. Yep. What can you do? What can you do? Stay inside and play cards. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. But have you played Exploding Kittens? Ah, no, no. That sounds great, though. Oh. Uh. You know what? It is a much less PG game than Cards Against Humanity. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. But uh, very enjoyable. All right. Let's roll the music for Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? Go to tinyurl.com slash itest, that's the letter I-T-E-S-T, 15. And I, uh, because it's talking about IntelliTest in Visual Studio oh, 2015. Yeah. This is a blog by uh, Abhijit Jana and, uh, from July 2015. Great blog post talking about how easy it is to get code coverage uh, in unit tests with Visual Studio 2015. Essentially, you write your code, you right-click on it, and you say, run IntelliTest. Nice. Boom, you're done. So, uh, And it's, it's not that simple, of course, but it should take some of the fear out of uh, testing and code coverage. It's your starting point anyway. Yeah, and I know that there are some people out there who are still not doing that. So. They've just made the bar lower and lower, right? It's like, yep. it, this is really not that far a jump to make. It's just not a big deal anymore. <laughs> yep. All right, so. I love it. There you go. It's a great article, and I uh, recommend you read the whole thing, because there's a lot of good stuff in it. Absolutely. Awesome. From daily.net tips. All right, Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 1183, not that long ago, the one we did with Chris Love. Mm-hmm. Where we talked about optimizing mobile websites, which turned into a conversation about making web pages go faster general, which is, always seems to be a hot topic. Yeah. Had a lot of tweets, a lot of discussion back and forth, and, and a number of comments. And this one comes from Justin Mead, who says, I was surprised there wasn't talk about ES 2015. That's ECMAScript 6. Right. And module loading. Yeah. JavaScript has been really good at letting you do really bad things for a long time. I mean, that's the basic measure of a good programming language. Hmm. So many ways to blow off your foot. Yeah. That's what you look for in a language. Right. 
Uh, module loaders came along and helped clean up some of the clutter and bad practices. These loaders have made it much easier to get just the bits of functionality you need from larger libraries into an application. Angular sort of lets you do this with 1.0. There's a bunch of junk loaded by default, but some larger pieces that you had to opt into using and load them into your application mm -hmm. module. That being said, Angular 2 and Aurelia are much more modular. I think you will see much more changes like this coming as the web itself is pushing for more modularity all the time. Look at web components and HTML imports. Yeah. It just sort of speaks to this is clearly a problem space and they're experimenting with solutions. I don't know that we're going to find a good one, but, you know. It also speaks to Chris Love's uh, sort of MO, which is, you know, vanilla JavaScript. He was yeah. sort of down on frameworks altogether, so probably isn't as, as hip on that kind of stuff. Well, also, I mean, we just didn't bother with ES6, right? We were performance tuning the code yeah. that we had. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know that any of these new features, anybody's really judged them on their performance capabilities. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not. Maintainability, you know, that's where I look for modularity, not really performance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but Justin goes on to say, I like the concept of build it all ourselves, and I feel it's good practice to build what you can when it makes sense, which is clearly why he likes Chris, because that's certainly the way Chris works. Yeah. Right. The reality is like what Scott Hanselman said in one of his podcasts some time ago about when he was working in Carillion. If he could buy a calendar control for 200 bucks, then he wasn't going to let a dev spend a week building one. It's the problem of wanting to do something, and having to do something. Mm -hmm. Which I don't know. It's almost a contradictory point. You know, we, yeah, we generally shouldn't build boilerplate code, you know, or some any code you don't have to maintain yourself because you can buy it. That's good code. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's always worthwhile doing. But generally managing how you load it in, more structured way than the way HTML's done it, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's performing or not, but uh, it's certainly good for maintenance. So, Justin, thank you so much for your comment. I'm glad you enjoy this show. And uh, a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of the social medias. We post every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there, we can read it on the show, and we'll send you a mug. And you can always reach us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And uh, we like to read your tweets, so send them. Send pictures of your mugs. That's always good. And that brings us to our guest today. Sam Basu is a technologist, a press, plural site author, speaker, Microsoft MVP, believer in software craftsmanship, gadget lover, and a developer advocate for Telerik. With a long developer background, he now spends much of his time advocating modern web, mobile, and cloud development platforms on Microsoft and Telerik stacks. His spare times call for travel and culinary adventures with the wife. Find out more at Basu. that's S-A-M-I-D-I-P-B-A-S-U dot com. Welcome, Sam. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Native script. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a good show. First of all, let's talk about why it exists in the first place. What problem is it trying to solve? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um as a modern developer, I think it's actually really become challenging on how you keep up on top of everything that's going on with the web and the mobile, right? Yeah. And especially in the mobile space, uh, it's not a choice anymore. Everyone, Everyone's building apps, and it's the whole mobile lifestyle we have. We have lots of devices in our lives, and even if we uh, go across platforms, we want our apps and our data to just kind of follow us along. So now, more than any other time, I think it's more important to get your uh, mobile strategy right. And this is where I think NativeScript comes in, and I think we are uh, we are really excited about uh, the possibilities. All right, so tell us about it. What is it? 
Absolutely. So maybe let me take another little step back. So let's just say you decide, uh, you woke up today and you decide to make a mobile app. Mm -hmm. And you're all excited. You want to get started as soon as possible. And then it hits you, like the staggering number of choices, all these different platforms you have to support, and all the different ways in which you can go about building your mobile app, right? And so you kind of have to break it down and do what is right to reach the broadest possible audience and your skill sets and your maintainability. Mm -hmm. So at the simplest form, you would possibly want to write a native app. If you have the skills and if you have the time, by all means, go native. Because as we know, it gives you the best possible user experience, you're closest to the metal, and everything just works. The problem is for an indie developer, for a single developer to stay on top of three different major platforms, I'm talking about iOS, Android, and Windows, is really hard. Because yeah. you're talking about like three different tool sets and uh, widely varying programming paradigms. So, And even if you're like an enterprise, uh, it's expensive to have three teams with three different types of skill sets. But again, if you can go native, by all means, go native. Now, if you cannot afford to go native, what are your options? So that's when you talk about some of the cross-platform things. And the simplest thing you could do is go with the hybrid mobile app approach. And this is something uh, we, uh, we at Telerik believe strongly in. So a hybrid mobile app is where you are uh, packaging up, you're reusing your web skills, and you're packaging your uh, web assets like HTML5, JavaScript, and CSS, and bundling it all up into an app that you're going to put in the app store. Mm -hmm. Now... All of this is being rendered on a giant web view. Uh, every mobile platform has a web browser and they have the web view. And this is where your apps are rendering. And if you do a decent job, your users will hopefully not notice, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I think some, uh, some of the things that hybrid mobile apps get dinged on sometimes is performance. And uh, this is not as true if you just go buy a modern smartphone, your browser is good enough. But the problem is like you can still walk into a Walmart and the cheapest Android phone you'll buy is possibly running like Android 2 or 3. And yeah, your experience is not going to be the best. So uh, hybrid, I think, is a legit strategy, especially for lots of line of business apps. But if that's not quite the way you want to go, then you have to think about other ways of going back to the native story. And I think this is where some of the uh, cross-compilation stories come in, uh, the Xamarin's of the world and what they do with Mono. Uh, where you can write your code in C-sharp and they'll cross-compile it down to native apps on every platform. Uh, so that's all great, but Xamarin and C-sharp may not be for everybody. So this is where there might be a little void, and this is where I think uh, native script comes in um, to fill the gaps. So native script sounds like JavaScript that compiles to native code? Is that off the mark? <laughs> A uh, little bit. So NativeScript, uh, as it sounds, is actually not a programming language. It's really trying to reuse the languages that you already know. Okay. So let me say these words like really slowly and let it sink in. Uh, NativeScript is a framework for building cross-platform native apps with JavaScript. So it sounds like Cordova. No, not at all, actually. So uh, the, the first time we often say this, people are like, what? You're talking about making native apps with JavaScript? So there is no DOM. There is no Cordova or PhoneGap. There is no WebView. We are talking mm. about purely native apps that work across platforms, but written with uh, tooling that you or languages that you already know. Okay. So whereas Cordova takes uh, a web page and runs that in a sort of a shell, a shell like a browser shell, mm -hmm. This is not that. This is taking HTML and JavaScript and compiling it to a native, kind of like what uh, WinJS does on the on the um, Microsoft side. 
It's close, but there is also no HTML. So this is interesting. Oh, really? let's gonna, yeah, let's okay. let's break it down. Let's break down what are some of the building blocks of how you build a native script app. Yeah. So you write your business logic for your applications in JavaScript. And JavaScript is ubiquitous. We have all grown to essentially understand how important that is and how many people have this skill set. So no, nothing proprietary. You're writing your business logic in pure ECMAScript uh, JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And that's entirely not the truth, but let's hold that thought. I'll talk about it once we get to like okay. what's in this for .NET developers. But let's just say you're writing everything in JavaScript. For your UI markup, you're going to use XML. And this might surprise you because um, if you think about it, um, XAML is a type of XML. It's a sure, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So when like XAML Informs first came out and they said, you can write your UI abstraction in XAML, like several folks went up and arms like, this is not really XAML. Because XAML has different flavors for different types of applications. So mm-hmm. we're calling it XML, but it's very much like XAML. Got it. And then you style your UI with CSS. So you see a mix and match of a couple of web technologies and XML. So mm-hmm. your programming stack is JavaScript, XML, and CSS. That's what you use to actually build a native script app. Okay. Well, if you think about it, HTML is really a form of XML too, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's just a really badly behaved one. Yeah. <laughs> when we tried to make it better behaved, everybody got angry. Yeah. All right. Business logic in JavaScript. And now, where where does it go natively? Yeah, absolutely. So there is no magic. I mean, it's really, you're looking at like two and a half years of uh, engineering orchestration to make this work. So as a developer, that's your three tools, JavaScript, XML, and CSS. That's how you're going to build your app. So now let's look at how your app is actually going to run and how it's going to be native and how you're going to consume some of the native APIs. So when we uh, take your application, your code is at the topmost layer. There is a thing in between uh, your code and the native platforms, and that's the native script runtime. And this is where all the magic happens. Mm -hmm. So we're going to parse your XML, your UI markup, which you can also define entirely in code. You're just like adding a visual tree that you're building up just like HTML. So we're going to parse your markup and then say, oh, it looks like you're trying to render a list view with, let's just say, uh, a list of grocery items. And we will turn around and we will render a native list view on iOS, Android, and Windows. So this is where the native com- uh, story comes into play. For every control that you render through your markup, and we have abstractions for everything that's common, mm-hmm. we will turn around and render a native control uh, for each platform. Okay. And if you have a control that doesn't exist in other platforms, you are free to just you know, uh, kind of uh, invoke uh, the native UI so you can just render it for iOS, mm. if, you, if you may. Mm-hmm. So that's the markup story. And then you're going to ask, how do I use my ge- uh, geolocation, my accelerometer, my camera, and all of the fun stuff? Yeah, the native platform. Exactly. So we have hooks. There is, no again, no magic. There is just little bridges, and the bridge is a JavaScript bridge. So we have something called a module, a native script module. It's kind of like what uh, Richard was talking about. It's the whole module story. You only require the things you need, and everything is made available to you as you require them. So it's like a common JS specification. So you require a module, let's just say camera. And when you say, give me a camera and then camera dot take picture, what you're writing is pure JavaScript code. Behind the scenes, and this is no, uh, no compiled language. It's all at runtime. So behind the scenes, we are going to take that piece of code and invoke the native APIs on iOS, Android and Windows. And the way we do it is because in the native script runtime, there's a very thin layer of abstraction, which is a JavaScript virtual machine, right? 
And this is the same, I mean, virtual machines kind of sounds like a little scary, but it's the JavaScript engine that's powering the web browser on your phones. So it's uh, V8 for Android, and it's uh, JavaScript core uh, for, for iOS, and it's Chakra for, for Windows. So that JavaScript virtual machine is the one that allows us to translate your JavaScript code, which is abstracted out, into the native API calls for each platform. Hmm. So this is how it works at runtime. Does that wow. make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Now, there's a little bit of orchestration that goes on in making this work. Um, there are things that are just different between JavaScript and, let's just say, Swift or Java, right? So your your data types may be different. So there's some data marshalling and some mapping going on behind the scenes uh, and some data binding going on and so on. Hmm, okay. Uh, wow, where to start? Um, so how much of this code is going to actually be common between iOS and Android? Great question. When you package up your app, your code remains the way it is. You, uh, your app package will contain JavaScript, CSS, and XML. None of that changes. At runtime, when we build the whole thing and we deploy it, uh, there's going to be a platform-specific code that we're going to render on the devices. Right. So do you have three projects, one for each platform, or like, like Xamarin Forms does, or do you have just one project? No, that's the whole goal. It's going to be a single project, a single code base that tries to run everywhere. Now, as developers, the moment we hear something like that, like write once and run everywhere, mm -hmm. we think of it like write once and suck everywhere. Mm. But uh, if you do it uh, with enough orchestration and enough uh, engineering behind it, you can get around doing it nicely, which is what we see in the Windows 10 Universal Windows Platform story as well. It's the UI that's being rendered smartly. And that's exactly what uh, we are trying to do with NativeScript as well. The only thing I really have to compare this against is Xamarin Forms. And so, you know, I'm going to do that. So, uh, you know, the, some of the problems with that is you have different looks and feels across different devices. And yet, you know, the look and feel of a Xamarin Forms app is definitely the, the same, but it definitely doesn't look native. You know what I mean? It doesn't look like yeah. it takes advantage of Windows Phone being probably the most divergent, uh, you know, whereas Android and iOS can be kind of similar. But, sure. uh, what, you know, what, uh, am I going to be able to tell that this is a native script app or does, is it going to just look like any other app in the app store? Uh, it depends on you, the developer. And I think we can get into that argument of like, are you a PayPal or a Facebook and that you can afford to have your own look across everything? Mm. If so, you definitely can. But at the same time, keep in mind the controls that we are rendering are purely the native controls. If I picked up the Windows Phone SDK and started coding, I'll be using the same controls that NativeScript would render. Now, once it comes to styling those apps, uh, given you have a single code base and a single markup, you could have technically three different CSS files to okay. kind of cater to the, uh, the three different uh, platform, uh, the nuances of each one. I see. And do you have like a CSS file for Windows Forms that has some of that standard look and feel of like the carousel and all of that stuff? Um, there is some help with some uh, CSS templating, but I think we are we are going to try to build more of these uh, things so that you can kind of derive a Windows Phone look and feel out of the gate. But right now, I mean, all of the CSS is handmade uh, for you. And, you know, let's not be kid ourselves here. I mean, we're talking about 5% of market share. <laughs> right. Or, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. real, the real uh, goal is Android and, and iOS, but that's right. Yeah. Uh, so we, uh, you can target anything from iOS seven uh, and up, and Android four point two and up. Uh, that's the goal where NativeScript started. 
where does the CSS get selected? Is this code you write to pick it, or is it part of the compilation process? Well, you use selectors in CSS, kind of like jQuery, but uh, keep in mind the markup that you're writing is actually abstracted. So when you say, here's a button, uh, we can turn around and render the native button, but we know exactly what the button is on a given page, on a given frame. So on your CSS, you could just say dot button, and then your CSS just just looks like anything else you'll write on the web. Right. I think what Richard's asking is, though, is there a separate CSS file for iOS, a separate one for Android, or you know, a separate set of styles for each one, or it, it, how does that work? Sure. I mean, not out of the box. I mean, so out of the box, you can have a single CSS that's true for your entire application, and then you can have one CSS for every page of your application. Mm -hmm. But if you choose to, you get hooks to say what platform you're on, and then you can have three different CSS files for three platforms. Yeah. Or a, a convention, perhaps, maybe, that says, you know, if I'm using this convention, it's for iOS, if it's this one for Android, etc. cetera. Uh, what do you mean by convention? Oh, uh, you know, just like a um, a part of the name of a style, for example. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good idea. I don't think we have gone that route yet, but that's a great idea to take mm -hmm. back and consider. Yeah, okay, this seems like powerful stuff. What's the dev environment then? Is this in, Do I do this in studio or do I work in something different? Sure, that's a great question. So let's kind of boil this down because there are lots of options for you. So out of the box, native script is completely free. It's open source. It's on GitHub. You can see uh, what's been done every day. And the default tooling for native script is command line interface or CLI, as we call it. Mm -hmm. right? right. And this is where, uh, like, we as .NET developers, I think we are a little scared of CLI sometimes uh, because, like, for years, Visual Studio has kind of shielded us from command line tool. Uh, but you see the change in mindset. Like if you look at anything that's uh, ASP.NET, you see the Damien Edwards and Hanselman's doing command line tooling first, and then Visual Studio context menus actually fire up the command line tools. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as a developer, uh, whether it be uh, you be on Windows, uh, on Linux, and OS X, the single tool that's really common is the command line tool. So this is where NativeScript starts up, and everything is available to you for free as a command line tool utility. And then you can use any text editor as you're writing your code because what you're writing is really very basic it's javascript uh, xml and css just about anything can understand these languages things like sublime text uh, vs code is actually really good as well right. uh, so really any text writer now where the cli comes in and helps is like you're starting up your project and running your project so essentially everything is a package and everything is a module that you can pull in so you simply say npm install native script and that gets you all the tooling that you need and then uh, the command line for uh, working with NativeScript uh, CLI is TNS or Telerik NativeScript. So you say TNS, create this app. And then you say TNS, add platform iOS or TNS, add platform Android. And then we just uh, sneak in all those folders. And essentially what we're trying to do is kind of like Yeoman, we are scaffolding the entire project structure mm -hmm. for you. So you have all the things. And you can also put specific uh, like splash screens and icons for each platform in there. So the CLI gives you a nice platform and then you can build it and run it on uh, on native emulators, on uh, devices that you're connected to USB or uh, through just like wireless device sync, which we'll get to in a bit. I was going to ask you about the emulators. So are these yeah. emulators that already exist or are they specific for native script? No, no, you can use uh, any of the emulators that you have. Okay. So if you're on OS X, 
uh, when you say TNS run iOS, it's going to fire it up on the uh, default Xcode default emulator. Xcode emulator yeah, yeah, and the same thing, TNS run Android, it's going to fire it up on the Android emulator. You might have to go and get some coffee because the Android guy is a little slow to start up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there are some other, there are some, yes, some that yeah. are actually pretty decent. Yeah, you can actually do TNS run Android and then like dash Jenny to pull up the Jenny Motion one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on on Windows, uh, you can actually use the the new. Uh, it's it's funny like Microsoft makes almost the best Android emulator. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, so you can use any of the native am, uh, emulators for mobile devices. So Sam, you now talking about Telerik native script? Is there a distinction between native script and Telerik native script? No, no, absolutely. It's the same thing. So really, NativeScript uh, being entirely open source, we want to leave it that way. It's right. just some of the tooling that you could use to build NativeScript apps. I mean, we have to uh, keep our lights on as well. So the yeah. basic CLI tooling is completely free. But then we give you some tooling, uh, if you're interested, to... I mean, it's kind of like friends with benefits. It's just a little better with uh, some, of the t- some of the tooling. Nice. <laughs> Okay, he you know, went there, yeah, Carl. 13 years of doing this show, and I was waiting for somebody to bring up that little phrase. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Sam. I'm sending you a mug. <laughs> All right, so you, the basic stuff is open source, and then there's some that isn't. So what isn't? Right, so this is where you get into what's uh, we, what we call the Telerik platform. So for you to successfully put an app into the store to kind of build uh, build the entire app and go through the entire lifecycle and keep maintaining it, uh, there are several things you need to do as a developer. You might need to like prototype your application. You're going to have to build your application, test it out, maybe have some backend services. Uh, you get to maybe add analytics to your application and uh, see how users are using it and uh, do like feedback with your customers and so on. So it's a whole lifecycle story. So that's where the Telerik platform comes in and tries to give you the whole like end-to-end mobile story. Now, the biggest part of that is something we call the Telerik App Builder, which is really how you build your applications. And App Builder started out with a heavy support for hybrid applications, but now all of the native script stuff is also built in. So this is where you get some of the other choices on how you build your native script applications. So everything that we said about the CLI tooling, you can do all of that from inside Visual Studio. Because why not, right? We spend our entire days in Visual Studio. So uh, you will get the App Builder Visual Studio extension, and then everything lights up from there on. When you say file new project, you see all the native script templates, and these are uh, templates that give you like a tabbed interface or like a, a slide out interface. And then the project structure that's scaffolded inside of Visual Studio is exactly the same as what CLI would do. And you can build and you can deploy to your emulators or deploy to um, to any of your devices directly. And this is where you also gain uh, things like uh, Live Sync, which is where if you uh, build your application from inside of Visual Studio, you get a QR code and you can scan that. That simply pulls down the application inside of a companion app. And then as you write, like, let's say you just change one line of code in your JavaScript, you don't have to deploy the whole thing. You can just like hold down with three fingers and it's going to pull down just the changed app package for you. All right. Very cool. So, so the Telerik platform has been around for a long time. Now I thought the Telerik platform included Cordova stuff, but I guess that was before native script, but the rest of the tools are, are like you said, basic, you know, web development tools and testing and things like that. Right. Yes, absolutely. So you can still do Cordova hybrid apps inside the platform, and you can do it in browser, you can do it in uh, VS Code or um, any of the other text editors, and you can uh, get you get a choice to build whether hybrid apps or native script native apps. Yeah. So you literally choose from one template to another. 
And this is where, let me uh, bring out that little uh, cat in the bag. Uh, the whole uh, business logic in JavaScript thing, that's not entirely the truth. Okay. Well, it turns out we developers, uh, especially .NET developers, sometimes do not like uh, some of the dynamic stuff that JavaScript brings into, some of the weirdness that we kind of get used to it on the web, but you still feel like you should be writing C-sharp. So you can actually write your business logic in TypeScript. Oh, yep. nice. Yep. So for those of you who do not like writing JavaScript, you can write your entire business logic in TypeScript. And the moment you're in TypeScript land, you get some comforts. Like immediately Visual Studio is going to light up and give you all types of intelligence. Your arrays are going to be typed. Uh, if you have like properties on an object that are not initialized anywhere, you're going to get uh, editor warnings to say, hey, this doesn't belong here. Uh, so all of that stuff lights up with TypeScript. Oh, okay, so do you use TypeScript, you get all those advantages, you get that validation. In the end, it's just spitting out JavaScript anyway, and off you go. Yep. And also, if you are uh, a XAML developer coming from, let's just say, um, a WPF or Silverlight or Windows Phone background, mm -hmm. you're going to find some comfortable things. Um, so the inside story is uh, the PM and some of the engineers who are building NativeScript actually used to write the uh, the same Windows tooling for our, our other control suites, like for Windows and WPF. So oh. yeah, they have brought on some of the things that they loved about XAML. So you get uh, get those benefits. Data binding is huge in XAML, right? This is one yeah, of the reasons yeah. why we love writing XAML code. Uh, because you can have data binding on a very granular level on every UI element, or you can have data binding like on a much larger scale with, where you just give it one data context on the whole page and everything just trickles down from there on. You can do the exact same things. Essentially, when you say, here's my text box, and by the way, the text property of it is inside of like a double uh, parenthesis, that means you're doing some data binding. So we're going to look at the uh, business uh, uh, side of things. We're looking at we're going to look into your view models and try to find out an object on which you have data context and go from there. And this data binding is actually two way. And of course, we won't do it one way because that's just silly nowadays. Uh, if your UI changes, your object catches up, and vice versa. Nice, awesome, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is now? It must be that happy time again. Yep, that's right. It's time to announce my very first native script app. It's called Friends with Benefits. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. You're going there. I thought that was Tinder. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Hold true. on, wait, that's Strangers with Benefits. <laughs> <laughs> or Nightmares with Benefits, one or the other. Great. Stalkers with Benefits. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you that Telerik DevCraft is the most complete .NET toolbox for web, mobile, and desktop development. With the addition of UI for Xamarin to the DevCraft bundle, you can create compelling native mobile experiences with your C-sharp skills. And now you've got native script on top of all that. Download a free trial at tinyurl.com slash devcrafttrial. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Rune Jensen from Denmark. Congratulations, Rune. Golf clock for you, Golf sir. Clap for Rune. And I hear the clappers. I got the clappers. <laughs> and uh, Rune just won a Telerik DevCraft collection. That's a huge pile of awesome from Telerik. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And we also like to ask our guests, 
Sam, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Sure. Um, so I was actually thinking about this uh, this morning. So I could do um, like a realistic wish list and then stuff that I cannot really buy. <laughs> okay. So um, like a fully decked out um, uh, MacBook Pro Retina uh, with the most specs is possibly going to push you back like or close to like four grand. And you know uh, how Apple is. No, nah, I would disagree. I can build you a $12,000 MacBook Pro <laughs> if you ask me nicely. <laughs> Yeah, and you know how Apple is. Like, every time you bump up your memory, it's like, oh, another thousand bucks more. Yes, because we make it out of unobtainium. Absolutely. And then uh, if that's not entirely the budget, so we'll throw in a HoloLens, because why not? It's coming. Yeah, we have no idea what the price is going to be, but presumably less than five grand. Yeah, possibly not super cheap, but since it's like a whole Windows 10 PC, but we'll see. Yeah. And then wishlist-wise... Um, I'm a bit of a car guy, uh, like a mm-hmm. big Audi fan, and I would like my entire windshield to have night vision. No, oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Not to say I'm going to speed, but just once in a while when you're on a state route in the middle of the night, it will be nice to turn off your lights and just go. Ghost it. Well, that's not very safe for anybody else, is it? Well, it depends. I mean, it might actually be safer for you with, I mean, if you can see like deers coming your way. Uh, with infrared and night vision, it might actually be safer for you. But yeah, not good for everyone. Well, the guy who's walking down the road who doesn't have night vision, he's not going to see you. No, it's, it's yeah, your that's your dis- responsibility it. at that point. Right. Exactly. So why take on everybody else's responsibility is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, you know, it'd be cool for a video game. But yeah. uh, in real life, that's kind of scary for me. Well, they, they, there are cars out there with night vision services. Yeah, there they don't are. turn off your headlights, but they also they are able to see further ahead with night vision. Yeah, that I could deal with. Yeah, yeah I think GM and Mercedes they all tried uh, being in this game, and you yeah. can do like a little bit of look ahead, and they do like uh, watching for deers and so, things like that. But it's not the full windscreen. No, not the whole windscreen. It's just a little patch. So that would be the cool part. Is covering the whole. See thing. a vagrant sitting by the fire on the side of the road, and all of a sudden, it's like, what the <laughs> hell was that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, the inside of the car is always a bit illuminated, so you just sort of see a bit of a face and stuff. That would be interesting. Yeah. Very creepy. Just like feel like a tornado just went by at about 100 miles an hour. There you go. <laughs> All right, so so we, we have TypeScript and the ability to do that. I imagine because it's just JavaScript, we can use any kind of transpiler that that you want. And maybe CoffeeScript? Or are yeah. there specific things in JavaScript that you need to have in there? No, not really. I mean, you can you can bring in other things uh, as long as they all transpile down to JavaScript that we can understand. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can bring in things which are native even. Like if you are like a Android developer or if you're a long-time iOS developer, you might have some things abstracted out as your own library. Like uh, Cocoa Pods is a uh, familiar thing for iOS developers where they just, it's like a NuGet package for .NET developers where yeah. they bring in packages that they can reuse. You could bring in those things and it all it all works, but Keep in mind, it's going to work for just iOS. And we are looking at making these bridges so that it works cross-platform. But for now, you can bring in Java. You can bring in some other Cocoa Pods things and make sure your native applications work the same way if if you were writing this all native. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm pondering the development experience. And I think I got to think building the UI is the tricky bit. Is there a designer or am I basically writing markup and then running the emulator to see what it looks like? Sure. And there are two sides of the story. So let me explain. So when you're writing up the UI markup and you're doing this purely in XML or XAML-like XML, mm-hmm. you have some nice tools that help you out. Again, keep in mind uh, the XAML developer friendliness that I was talking about. That's very much true for UI uh, design. 
all of the things that we liked in XAML, all of your layout design makes its way right across into native script land. So the things you do in XAML where you use grids and you use like stack panels on how you like stack things together horizontally or vertically or you, how right. you wrap, wrap things, they're all there. So all of your placeholder controls are right there. This will be like building a markup for any other Windows application in XAML, right? So that's, that's the way you build up your UI, um, UI, UI tree and so on. But uh, another aspect of uh, the Turek platform that might help you out, especially if you're not quite used to the iOS or Android design school and how you go about building those apps, uh, there's something called Screen Builder, which is really a, uh, what you see is what are you, what you get type application, mm -hmm. and it's web-based. So you start out with a template and you say, I want to add like a list uh, page to my application, an about page, and this and that. I want to add some social media integration. And you do a few clicks, and then we kind of build all of that for you on the fly. You can see how your app is going to look like without any of the custom CSS. Mm -hmm. And then you could say, okay, fine, I'm done up, up until this part. Let me just take over. So import to NativeScript. So you kind of have a nice starting point. So your application on all of your pages could have a nice starting point as you build up your application, and then you go from there on. So again, you know, what I have to compare to in my experience is, um, is Xamarin Forms. And one of the problems that you see with that is the subset of UI elements that they could come up with that, that you know, uh, are in the union of, mm -hmm. of controls that uh, span all these things uh, are, are pretty basic. And so, you know, you, you may not have access to, with one markup, you may not have access to some of the cooler controls on a native platform. So how do you address that issue? Well, true that. I mean, it, I mean going cross-platform isn't easy. Like, so there is no silver bullet. We are all trying to do it just the right way. So similar to what you'll have for uh, Xamarin Forms, the UI abstraction that you have is really trying to pull out the stuff that's common. And everything actually begins for NativeScript. It begins at nativescript.org. So if you go in, go out there and look at all the UI widgets and the layouts that we have, you start out with a list of like 20 or 25 UI tools, things like buttons, labels, uh, list views, progress bars, um, tab views, and date pickers, and so on. So that's a quite a substantial list to begin with. And then if you really would like to invoke a native UI on Android that you just do not have, you have the option of invoking the native UI from JavaScript code. Nice. Yeah. So you just in what does that look like? What kind of call are you making from JavaScript to native code? Well, you have to kind of at that point you have to kind of know what the native UI element is like. Yeah. So I want to say it's like NS button. Let's just say for iOS, uh, you would say var uh, NS button and you new it up, and then when you render it, we will look at your markup and then look at your. Um, your JavaScript code and say, oh, you're trying to kind of fire this up and insert this in your visual tree, and we're going to go ahead and insert that UI, uh, which is specific to that platform. Okay. And actually, that brings up a nice way of how we bind this all together. So mm -hmm. when you create a native script project, it's actually very familiar uh, if you're coming from like an MVVM background. It's very similar uh, uh, project structure. You have a whole TNS modules folder, which is where all the modules live, which give you like the native API access. Uh, there are some uh, folders for uh, you to store the slash screens and any of the unique icons for each platform. And then there is a big app folder, which is where all of your stuff goes. Right. So if if you have a UI that's called mainpage.xaml or mainpage.xml, we can look by convention for something called mainpage.js to find out the corresponding code behind files. So it's kind of like the web forms model in ASP.NET. There is a there's UI markup and then there's a code markup. And then 
you can hook this up to uh, a full-on MVVM model where you have your model, which is talking to your database, which could be anything really, anything cloud, uh, Azure or our stuff. And then you have your view model, which is maybe an abstracted view of all everything that you want to display from the model, uh, which has the one-on-one -on -one link to your uh, to your view. And your view is just a UI markup at that point. Okay. And when I'm ready to deploy, uh, I, I guess for iOS, I need a Mac, right? That's interesting. So the answer is yes and no. If you are on OS X, well, then you already have a Mac. You can deploy yes. directly to uh, native uh, Apple emulators and uh, natively to your iPhone, which you're going to need some the provisioning stuff to be set up before you can deploy. Yep. Or if you are on Windows, again, this doesn't come with the CLI tools. It does come with the Telerik platform. Right. So on Visual Studio or on VS Code, wherever you are writing this code, if you have the Telerik platform, when you build it, you get an option of how do you want us to build it. This is where you could say, I actually do have a companion app. So there is a native script companion app on iOS and Android, which you can download from the respective stores. And you could say, build this for me for the companion app. And what we're going to do is actually not do anything uh, vastly different. It is still a native app. So the, you cannot uh, kind of emulate this in a browser because it's truly a native app. So when we build it for a companion app, you get a QR code. And even if you do not have a Mac, we can still do a cloud build for you. Mm -hmm. And then you just pick up your iPhone, you scan your QR code inside of your native script companion app, and it deploys directly inside nice. of that app. Does it become a separate app icon? No, it's just the one app uh, with the native script companion app. Okay, so in it's inside the, the companion app. Yeah, and the, the companion app is just a shell. That It's still running your app as a native app. It's just, just, just a shell. So we can but it also means you completely it. avoid the app store. Well, you could. I mean, yes. I mean, if you do not want to push all the way out, then you could avoid the App Store and just manually deploy to as many devices. We do have something called the App Manager, which is like for enterprise-wise deployment. You can have your own store, uh, which only your enterprise mobile app or mobile phones can see and so on. But you don't have to go all the way to the store. You could deploy directly from Visual Studio or App Builder uh, to, uh, to an iPhone or an Android. But your phone just, you need to scan this QR code. So however you deliver the QR code is what matters. Right. And the QR code comes up the moment you come up uh, with the build. So if you want to copy that QR code and if somebody else has the companion app, by all means, just scan it and it's going to deploy. Right. So I can hear people screaming out there, this all sounds <laughs> great, but A, is it as performant as an Objective-C and Java written native app? And B, does it have the same footprint? In other words, is there a is there a required uh, I don't know interpolation layer or framework layer or something like that? How what's the difference there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, great question. So let's kind of boil this down, and I'm going to try to address both of these concerns. So NativeScript is relatively new; it came out earlier this year. So we are uh, building a lot of things and building our performance benchmarks as we go. And in the native space, you are actually looking at some other things as well. Like there's React Native, which is similar idea, but it's only for iOS right now. There is Titanium and other things. And so we are building these benchmarks as we go. In terms of performance, um, our benchmarks suggest that if you built a purely iOS app in Swift versus a native script app, which is rendering the same controls, uh, there is a performance hit of about 7 to 10% compared to a native app. Right, which is quite substantial because hybrid apps take much more of a hit than that. I mean, you're running inside of a giant web view. So we are building performance benchmarks against the other folks as well. Uh, I mean, Xamarin is kind of close to where we are at. 
And in terms of uh, the other overheads that you, you might be taking on, so keep in mind, I mean, what we're trying to do is essentially a little hard to do. We are allowing you to go cross-platform with just JavaScript and XML and CSS. So no matter how you go about this, you will take a little hit. I mean, this is true for even Xamarin. I mean, they have to package up the Mono Framework. Sure. And even a Hello World app is like three to four gigs, or I'm sorry, three to four megabytes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with uh, native script, it's a, it's a footprint that's not quite as much as the Mono Framework work, uh, the native script runtime, and then the JavaScript virtual machine is actually something we do actually ship, and that's just a few kilobytes uh, in your app package. But uh, the iOS and the Android uh, devices and their web browsers, they do ship these uh, these JavaScript VMs much more frequently, and we don't want you to be access, uh, to kind of susceptible to all of that change. So we want to give you a consistent API canvas, so we do ship the JavaScript virtual machine inside of the app package, which is just a few kilobytes. So again, when you do a hello world in native script, your uh, app package size is very comparable to what you'll have for Xamarin Forms. So are we talking like 10K? No, no, it's, it's going to be like two to three megabytes is what okay. I thought. All right. Well, that's fair enough. And that's on top of whatever code you generate in your app itself. Right. And I mean, when I say hello world, your code is really nothing. So yeah, it's really just, just the framework that you're deploying. All right. Very good. Um, coding paradigms. What are, the, what are some of the coding paradigms that are familiar to us here? Well, um, from a JavaScript standpoint, if you are used to like the common JS patterns, you're going to find yourself very comfortable. You simply say require camera, and then uh, that brings up the camera module, and you could say camera.takePicture. That's how abstracted things are. Um, you do have access to just about anything on the platform or, I guess, on the app management and architecture and navigation side of things. So when you um, deploy your application to your uh, to your device, you have access to all of the application events, like the launch events when your application goes into like a resume mode or uh, you're about to exit that mode and so on. So you do have access to all of the app events. And mm -hmm. then uh, the data binding thing we talked about, the XAML-like data binding gives you a lot of comfort. And uh, you can bring in other JavaScript frameworks, which help you do some of this uh, heavy handling, if you may. Mm -hmm. And your uh, your event handling is actually very simple. Like, for example, if you have a button, you could just say button.tap. And then just like you'd, you'd used to do in web forms, you would write something in ASPXCX. Uh, in your JavaScript code, you write the tap even handler. And everything is kind of like the Node.js based. You export out that module, so everything is kind of available to you. And even all of the native script modules that you have, that you start out with, the metadata for all of that is actually abstracted out for you. So we know exactly what you're about to call when you say camera.takePicture. So uh, overall, I think uh, what we're trying to do is give you a robust set of tools which help you uh, write your code in languages that you're hopefully comfortable with and make it native across all platforms. So getting back to the whole open source versus commercial thing, uh, I just really want to nail that down. So out of the box, I can do, can I do everything, including deploy? Yes, yes. For free? Yes, if you choose to use the CLI tools. Okay. So if I use the command line tools, it's all free and I can do whatever I want. But if I want Visual Studio support and I want access to the Telerik platform, obviously those other charges apply. 
Exactly. And the funny thing is the CLI is where actually the latest and greatest stuff is. Like the Telerik platform actually lags the CLI by a couple of weeks. So if you're using the CLI, that's where you're getting the most um, latest uh, and greatest stuff for native script. And you can do everything from building your entire application, running it inside of an emulator and building the app package and then deploying it. If you are using the Telerik platform, we can actually do the deployment for you. So you actually don't have to leave Visual Studio or Telerik App Builder. We can go deploy directly to the app stores for you. But if you're doing a CLI, you'll have to do it by hand. Okay, very good. All right, is there anything else that we need to know about deployment in terms of um, you know what you can do with the Telerik platform that you can't do with CLI? Is there anything else that we're missing? No, not really. You get the option of running it on native emulators if you have uh, the ones that you need uh, on Windows and OS X. Uh, you could actually hook this up to a remote uh, Apple machine if you are on Windows and if mm. you have access to a remote uh, Mac host. Mm -hmm. um, but otherwise, you get option of running it on your native emulators as well as running it on a USB-connected device if you have that. Or if you use the platform, then you can have the whole QR code scanning and the live sync going on. Is there a, um, a component model for uh, building controls that work across platform? Well, we are actually working on these things. So there are things called plugins, which bring in native functionality that you might have on a specific platform and making it work everywhere. For example, you might want to use like Google Maps, which has a very nice uh, module and a component built in for iOS developers. So we are trying to bridge that gap uh, with Cocoa Pods. And once you bring it in, we are trying to build that bridge uh, as we go, so you can make it available for uh, cross-platform usage. But these are things we are building as we go. Okay. So what's next? What's uh, Where do you plan to take this? All right. Well, um, lots of things. I mean, there is an open roadmap. Again, everything starts out at nativescript.org, and we are excited about it. I think the nearest thing that's coming up is we have uh, plans to make full UWP or Windows 10 support available for native script applications. Okay. So this is not like the Windows Phone or Windows 8 type story. This is full on UWP where we're using the controls that you would normally use for Windows applications and using some of the UW, uh, UWP paradigms and so on. So that's coming very quickly, hopefully by end of September. And then we'll keep uh, keep churning. We'll keep at it. Uh, again, this is this being open source, we get lots of community feedback and we get pull requests and we're trying to work with everybody and make this a robust way of building cross-platform apps that are native, but with tools that you know. So you mentioned universal apps there. And... Um... Doesn't doesn't Microsoft still support doing uh, universal apps with JavaScript and HTML? I think they do. Uh, that's the whole WinJS side mm -hmm. of the story, and I think yeah. that's uh, that might still be it. But again, universal means universal within the Microsoft realm. Oh, sure, things. I know what you mean. Yeah. Right. So this is where it, you take it to iOS and Android. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Well, this is great stuff, guys. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. We're excited. Uh, and again, just trying to keep up on top of things. I think uh, we have a, a Bulgaria trip coming up uh, to meet the engineers of uh, NativeScript. And that's always a little intimidating because these guys are really hardcore and techie. And then beyond that, I think the year is starting to wind down a little bit. We do have the MVP Summit, which we just um, uh, registered for this week. Uh, yep. Hopefully, we'll see you two there and we'll do influencers dinners as well. Yeah, we'll be there. Yep. All right, great. We'll see you there, Sam. Thanks a lot. It's been great uh, and eye-opening, and I'm sure for our listeners as well. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks.
Net Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a